City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. Okay, City Limits on the air. It's the uh, second Wednesday of the month. We do energy type issues today, and um, and we just had uh, we just had the things pressed madly by Meg Kimber. We madly, had, well, beautifully by <laughs> Meg Kimber. Thank beautifully you. by Meg Kimber. <laughs> yeah. Zeb Peaks here as well. I'm Kevin Healy, and it's City Limits. And today. We're going to talk about a number of things, but we are going to have a, a yarn in the last half of the program to Helen Helen um, Vandenberg, who's one of our regular irregulars, or irregular regulars, whatever you call them on this program. Um, and Helen's going to talk to us about, one, catching up with what's happening in the the, the long, long, long-running uh, Tullamarine toxic waste dump, but she's also mm-hmm. going to talk to us about the attempts to dump uh, toxic soil around the western suburbs as well from the Westgate Tunnel. Mm. And uh, also talk to us about some of the things that are happening <clears throat> trying to protect waterways in that part of Melbourne as well. So plenty to talk about today. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. Always good to hear about the waterways because I think a lot of people in a big city like Melbourne forget about that this is a city with a lot of living rivers and mm-hmm. the ecosystems around them. Mm-hmm. I love listening to Helen talk about waterways. She's so passionate. <laughs> That's right. Well, she'll be on exhibiting that passion. She actually has a... A meeting about those issues at <clears throat> 10 o'clock on Zoom, so she's going to have to leave us okay. about 5 or 10 too, so we'll just... Um, Let's call her now. No, I'm just we'll kidding. Call her. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get her about 20 past or so, so we'll get on with it. Um, just a couple of other items. You've got other items, by the way. I'll pour tea while you can tell me what other items there might be around the place. Mm, that um, was the rattling of cups. Everyone want a cup of tea? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, other items. Um, well, uh, a couple, I don't know when it was, but I mentioned um, there was a thing oh, where AGL yeah. got annoyed at Greenpeace, basically, because Greenpeace said that AGL was bad, and AGL was like, we're not bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and there was a, um, a court battle to do with this. Uh, but Greenpeace won. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So, because AGL are bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's... That's Green proven in the courts. AGL two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm all... sure it was uh, slightly more uh, detailed than that, but mm. that that was my takeaway. Um, what what went to court? Was it a defamation thing? I think so. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure whether it was in particular that Greenpeace listed AGL as like the worst polluter. Um, okay. In the biggest climate polluter um, mm. in Australia. Um, yeah. And so AGL potentially took them to court over that statement. Um, but the judge found that the campaign materials targeting AGL were fair and legal. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was a big win. Mm. Yay. It's been a bad run for AGL. They lost the one that never happens. They lost an environment impact uh, study into the yeah. Hastings thing. I mean, they've had a real bad trot, poor mm-hmm. dears. <laughs> yeah, I really feel sorry for them. Yeah. Perhaps we should uh, go hard with them in the radiothon and give them a, give them a bit of a help. Yeah, because do they usually donate to our show on Radiothon? Oh, they don't always. Yeah. They haven't every year yeah, donated, yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> this could be a first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
could be looking at it first, and I'd hate to say it, but uh, maybe it's my week. Is it my week off next week, do you think? Maybe. Mm. <laughs> I oh, don't yeah. think you can get no, out of that. Very, oh, yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> nice try. Right, it's Radiothon right, next radiothon. week. Yeah, is it we next week? Yeah. yeah. It's next week. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to raise over 2,000 again, as we have for some years. Look, we could, it could be made easier for us if someone now, yep. some listener who really cared about us, got out the checkbook and wrote out a check for 2,000 immediately. Yeah. And yeah, we could just have a nice week next week. We could just have. A, we could actually not come in next week. Then. We could. If, we could. <laughs> if someone wants to pay us two thousand dollars to not do a show, we'll 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 take that into consideration. Oh, so happily. Yeah. So happily. Okay. Maybe AGL would do that. But of course, we. That's one of the things about Radiothon. Of course, we do depend on people who haven't maybe got a lot of money, but they keep us yeah. going. And uh, I think the theme this year, um, which is. Um, Community-powered, community I think, is an excellent uh, theme this year because we are community-powered. Without the community, we, we aren't on air. So exactly. It's as simple as that. Exactly. Anyway, um, first thing I wanted to talk about was the Herald Sun Monday headline. I mean, just have a look at the headlines. It's all right. And that big headline across the front page on Monday was, Get on with the jab. And Victoria has held back hundreds of thousands of COVID-19 vaccines for second doses, even through the, though the Commonwealth is already storing these supplies, etc., and it goes on to say that um, the growing stockpile has prompted Scott Morrison to encourage the states to use up the doses they are given. And so it blames the state oh, government for the whole vaccine thing. And they are keeping them for second doses. Like I've got to have mine in well, 12 weeks after I had the first one, which mm. is about five weeks ago. So I've got about mm. seven weeks to wait yet for the second jab. So quite a long um, wait. It is, but mm. 12 weeks for the yeah, you've got to wait. So. Of course, they're um, stockpiling them for the second jab. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to have, have it in 12 jab. weeks. They'd right. be like, whoops, we've run out. That's, That's right. good planning. Exactly. So, um, And they're going to ring me in a, you know, with appropriate time to say, come and have your second jab. So that's all right. Great. Um, at the same time, though, buried away in the Herald Sun, because we know the federal government is responsible for, well, the vaccines distribution as well as the um, its own nursing homes and its own aged care facilities. And... I think we all know also what a giant mind the Minister for Aged Care, um, Richard Colback, is. He comes across, his, his standard answer is, I don't know. That's basically it. Mm, I don't mm. know. Was that me uh, on this show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too. I didn't, I didn't read that, sorry. Yeah, yeah, but you're not, you haven't got all these aged care people responsible. <laughs> Luckily, I'm <laughs> not responsible the, for it. Going down the Gurgler, thanks to you. <laughs> the, the, uh, anyway, the federal government is still unable to track staff working across several aged care homes three years after its own task force recommended a national registration system. And good old Richard said he confirmed the health department still did not collect information on how many workers are employed across multiple sites nor the hours or shifts worked or a breakdown across cities. And and, uh, Lisa Fitzpatrick from the Nursing and Midwifery Federation said aged care nurses in state-run homes had full-time employment and consistent shifts. They also get paid the same as public hospital nurses. They don't need two, three, four jobs at different facilities to earn a living wage. And um, Fitzpatrick warned it was difficult for workers in private aged care who often had caused um, casual or part-time roles with short shifts to have one job and earn enough. So that does need to be sorted out, doesn't it? Mm, On so many fronts, not just for sort of safety and continuity of care for residents, but also workplace rights for people to earn a living wage and have secure employment. Mm, yeah. Very true. That's right. The workers themselves. That's yeah. exactly right. 
Yeah, on um, also another thing on COVID, there was the ABC reported another kind of instance of um, the state failing to communicate adequately with a public housing resident, um, not providing an interpreter and for this person that wasn't fluent in English. And um, basically uh, it was around the West Melbourne cluster and um, this person like was under the impression that they had to quarantine for more than three weeks. Whoa. Uh, so, yeah, it's just another example of um, people dropping the ball on um, communication. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes, speaking of uh, dropping the ball, there was another item this morning on um, on AM, on, on Radio National this morning, about an, an yet more revelations of Australian soldiers in Afghanistan committing terrible crimes against civilians and killing mm. civilians. They wiped out people in a, in a paddock who were picking, um, picking onions, I think it was, actually, onions. And uh, they, anyway, the story, that story will develop, no doubt. And, of mm. course, we know there's a defamation case on at the moment, which we perhaps shouldn't talk about at this stage. But, mm. um, but interestingly enough, um, the whole inquiry into, into the... the the um, crimes committed in, or alleged crimes committed in, in Afghanistan began with a study by a woman called Samantha Crombotes. She's she's an academic, uh, Dr. Crombotes, and she did a, a study which, in the course, she she began studying to look at look at something else, but it turned out that that she discovered in in doing the research about what was going on there. Mm. Uh, And she did it under a contract from the Defence Department to a company that she worked for called Rapid Context, um, a $6.5 million contract. Mm. But arising out of what she learned from that study, she's now written a book that's going to be published in a week or two called Blood, Lust, Trust and Blame. And it's all about the role of, you know, the way our soldiers carried on. Mm. And the government, of course, is screaming and yelling, saying she's abusing the fact that they got she got government funding for this research and now she's using it to make a profit by running a, a book about mm. us. How mm. terrible. Mm. And Jackie Lambie, of course, is an ex-trained killer, said if Samantha Crombotes wants to explore the politics of accountability and the cost of action, she might like to start by exploring her accountability and taking billions of taxpayer dollars to undertake her inquiry, the benefit of which the Australian public are far from clear. Well, we've been, it's become clear that things happen we should know about and yeah. uh, shouldn't have happened. But then this week it's been really pet up because that giant mind, speaking of giant minds, Richard Colbeck, he's one of the great minds of Australia, Peter Dutton, <laughs> who's now the Defence Minister... He said the sociologist, that's her and Crombert's, who helped expose alleged war crimes by Australian Special Forces soldiers in Afghanistan will be cut off from receiving future contracts to research military culture. Wow. Yes. Um, Dutton indicated he took issue with the type of research she'd done for the military. <laughs> like she found out what went on. <laughs> that's oh that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> How dare she? I've made my view very clear to defence, and I don't think you'll see any more contracts awarded in this regard, he told 2GB Radio, which is the Sydney shock jock yeah. station where he only appears. Said he had sought legal advice about the upcoming publication of her book and did not want the military to be distracted by things that have happened in the past. See, oh, they, my God. They've they, they all happened. You can't do anything about them now. Don't worry about them. Unless it's like Anzac Day, which yeah. happens every year. Well, yeah, that's right. right. I do have real concerns about the whole situation. There are a number of issues that I've dealt with in defence, and I just want to make sure when I get to the bottom of this, get all the facts, get the legal advice, and see what my options are, and then I'll make a decision from there. And he, he goes on. But... Mm. Um, so 
they're kicking up a big fuss because she exposed what Australians have done, which we all should know. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's so mm. concerning to say that, that, that uh, she's going to be cut off from future funding. That's, uh-huh. that's not, yeah, that's yeah. not good. It, it always it surprises me how obvious politicians can be mm. about um, how shady they are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They're really bringing their shade into the light yeah. of their own yeah. accord. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, she, she 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 obviously looked at the wrong things, like what they actually did, which was... God. A- well, good on her for being... It's almost like being a whistleblower, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. if you uncover that kind of information in the course of undertaking a job which you've been paid to do, yeah. obviously that's not what you expect, but you make a ethical decision there to say, well, am I going to sit on this? Or am I going to share this information? Yeah. Well, Good it led to the Royal being... Commission. I mean, her yeah. findings led to the Royal Commission, which led, or it was the Royal Commission, whatever it was, the inquiry anyway, by Justice yeah. Brett. And, mm. and um, he led to the his findings, which showed that uh, all those things had taken place. We're still waiting, of course, for charges and things to arise out of, but we'll see. Yeah, it's really yeah. funny how Australia as a nation really sidesteps a lot of their like criminal activities un- uh, during mm. wars, like the history of Australia's involvement in... Papua and, and East Timor and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, and right. then people don't seem to, it doesn't seem to kind of register. No. Yeah. No, no. Well, and in fact, in the opening address on that defamation case, I mean, the Council 4 um, said, you know, you've got to realise he that's his job. His job is to go there and kill people and he mm. didn't do it. He didn't do what they said he did, but he was he was a great soldier who was great at killing people. And yeah. I thought, you know, isn't it wonderful? He's killing Afghans. And he said the response, you know, in, in reverse, they might he's killing them so they don't kill him. But I thought, mm. well, why is he there? I mean, mm. if you look at war criminality, you've got to look at those who sent them there in that place Which in, is a bigger, in that time. Yeah. Um, when in fact, issue. I mean, even if you look at they invaded Afghanistan in 01 following um, 9-11 in America. But the, the culprits were, if you believe the, the stories, the, mm. most of the culprits came from Saudi Arabia. So mm. because they came from Saudi Arabia, they decided to invade Afghanistan. Yeah. It's all yeah. very logical, isn't it? Yeah. I think um, Gab Reed from the station for giving me this last week. This was a, um, a, a press release that came through, but speaking of defence and killing people, mm. Victoria's defence industry jobs will grow with the establishment of a new state-of-the-art centre in Fisherman's Bend with support from the Andrews Labor government. Minister of Industry Support Pakula announced that SICPAC Systems would expand its Victorian operations in a new facility and establish a defence autonomy centre of excellence, creating 280 high-value new jobs in the state over five years. Um, and it goes on. Well, it goes on to say, SICPAC Systems joins global firms including Boeing, Leonardo, and Siemens in calling Fisherman's Bend home. Victoria's defence sector contributes up to 8.4 billion to the state's economy each year, employing around 24,000 people in a 6,300 businesses that manufacture equipment and provide services for defence activities. Victoria continues to attract investment from major defence companies, building on the state's reputation as a prime location for supply chain opportunities. Moog Australia has launched a design and manufacturing facility in Heatherton that will boost production of its defence systems and the Asia Pacific, in, in Australia and the Asia-Pacific. French engineering company Segula Technologies is setting up its Asia-Pacific headquarters in South Melbourne and Hanwha Defence Australia has signed an MOU with the government and intends to establish its manufacturing operations in the, in the Geelong Corridor. Um, the Labor government invested $179.4 million 
in the Victorian budget to support stage one of the Fisherman's Bend's Innovation Precinct development mm. at the 32-hectare former General Motors Holden site mm. with remediation and new roads and services to create an investment-ready precinct in three years. So Yikes. here we are getting into the business of train killing. Remember mm. Jack Mundy, who died about a year ago, um, one of his things was you know socially useful work and workers yeah. should not work in things like weapons that kill people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that... Um that's interesting. It reminds me of uh, a while ago there was a student campaign at Melbourne Uni um, that was it was called Lockout Lockheed and it mm. was about Melbourne Melbourne Uni's uh, relationship with Lockheed Martin. And I feel like that might have been something to do with uh, Melbourne Uni kind of setting up um, a, like a, maybe an engineering campus or something around Fisherman's Bend mm. uh, and having some sort of yeah. relationship with Lockheed Martin. But they were funding research, that, you know, in, yeah. around the place, yeah. But yeah. there was never um, – the, the campaign sort of failed because they never, like, um, kind of got a freedom of information request that actually showed that mm. there was, like, a contract signed between the university and this company. But it did really seem like there was, there was some agreement um, – so yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, you know, there's there's defence money going out of campuses all over the place, mm. and it's quite dangerous. In fact, yeah, yeah. It's been pegged as like an industry that the governments want to expand, and and they're mm. they're, they're going for it. And it's kind of on the down low a little bit, unless you, I don't know, it's probably in the Fin Review or something about like how wonderful it is. But you never see it in the mainstream media. I don't no, think. Yeah. no. It, what I found interesting about there's also at the bottom they've got a number of quotes you can use in the media. Uh, they say, quotes attributable to Minister Martin Pakula. Now, I want you to think about this and tell me what you, what's interesting about these quotes. He says, the quotes we can take from him, global companies are choosing Victoria as the place to innovate and take the next big step in their journey. The growing concentration of advanced manufacturing business and high-skilled jobs in Fisherman's Bend will build its own momentum as the old GMH site is transformed into a global hub of manufacturing and design. And then <laughs> CPAC Systems Managing Director David Vecino says, we are excited about our prospects in Victoria and our ability to grow valuable jobs for Victorian workers. The opportunities available in Fisherman's Bend will allow us to foster collaboration with other innovative companies in academia. Academia, mm, so it gets mentioned. Yeah. But notice something about those three quotes? I didn't, I didn't hear the word weapons, no. Yeah. <laughs> no nor de- nor, weapons nor defence. Interesting, no. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's also interesting with the whole like research and academia mm. thing that um, you can kind of... like. Universities can sort of get away uh, with like doing research that furthers weapons production, but because it's for just like a specific, like uh, I guess a kind of a not very good example would be like you do research into drones. Um, and drones aren't necessarily used for military purposes, but then your research does end up like going towards military uh, purposes and. Um, so that you can kind of use those arguments to be like, oh, it's just technology. It's we innovation. Just, yeah. Um, Although drones are very useful at wiping out Afghan and Pakistan wedding parties. Are they? Mm. Oh, that's sad. And if you wipe out the wedding party, you wipe out the potential for future terrorists because they're not going to get born. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So it's got, got its upsides. Time to go. We've got to um, go to Helen Vandenberg right now. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being shut up. <laughs> you have to shut up. <laughs> and uh, oh, I talk too much. Um, okay, we'll take a break, come back, and we'll talk to Helen Vandenberg about something that does make a lot of sense. If 
If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. Okay, and on the line, Helen Vandenberg. Helen, welcome back to City Limits. We haven't had you for a while, but... um uh, so therefore, well, we thought by, by now, of course, after all these years, we've talked about the Tullamarine toxic waste dump and attempts to get it cleaned up. Now, I assume now it's been cleaned up, has it? It's all okay? <laughs> 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 that wasn't one of my jokes oh, of the what day. a lovely idea. You know, Kevin, it is possible um, <clears throat> to get uh, pump up the stormwater, uh, the groundwater, clean it, and then re-inject it into the ground as healthy water for <clears throat> the ecosystems that depend upon it, that it gets fed to. But apparently the EPA doesn't think that that expense is warranted at this site. It's quite fine for it to spread out through <clears throat> the uh, groundwater system and eventually disperse into the bay or the river or the ocean. And it seems like Dilution is still the solution. Yeah, just to background so, people, of course... Know, we... There's a hundred, we had 120 chemicals that we were monitoring in that groundwater. Now it's 121 because they have to monitor for PFAS. Yeah, just to and background... Sorry, Helen, just to, to background that... people a bit, because we uh, most people would know, but this was, of course, for many, many years used as a, literally a toxic waste dump. And now well, they've gone 90... away and, you know, it's, it's still all there. Yeah, uh, it was liquid waste. It was an old quarry hole that the Hamer government, in its grand wisdom, decided. A quarry hole on the banks of the Mooney Ponds Creek. What better place mm. in the northwest of Melbourne than to put a toxic dump just opposite the gateway to Melbourne, the Tullamarine Airport, which had also just been opened? And so it took... Um, there was a massive problem in Australia-wide, anyhow, with industrial waste. 
And rather than tell the manufacturers, we'll clean up your production processes and destroy your own waste, they said, oh, let's gather it all together and put it in quarry holes to the west of Melbourne. And this one was allowed to take liquid waste. Um, so you've got chlorinated solvents in there, you've got asbestos, uh, heavy metals, hydrocarbons, um, PFAS from the fires. You know, it's a, it's a really good toxic brew in there that Clean Away owns. And um, it's going to continue for a minimum of 100 years to interact. And, I mean, the internal temperature of this, the dump is 39 hectares and it goes down to a depth of um, 35 metres, I think. I can't remember if it's 25 or 35. And it's polluting groundwater down to depths of 15, 25 and 45 metres. And it's made that groundwater unsuitable for using to spray for irrigation. So the community's lost its right to access its own groundwater if they wanted to irrigate mm. a local park with the groundwater. They can't because it's too polluted. And of course, it gets into creeks, it gets into the Mirabalong River, it gets into Western into um, Port Phillip Bay eventually. Yeah, and they're telling me that don't worry about your creek, Helen, because it, it'll go under that creek. And I said, well, where does it come out if it goes under it? And prove it. You know, I love it's like, like as if your creek, yeah, they're like, don't worry, because the only creek you care about is not going to be bottling <laughs> affected. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I so guess that they might have caught up with the news now that we had a leading hand in getting the waterways of the west, the rivers of the west going, mm. um, which is a cross catchment from Maribyrnong and Werribee, plus the three creeks in between us that uh, got off, cut off from entering into the Werribee River because we had a change in climate that created the bay. Now, um, so, you know, I mean, even if you do only belong to one creek, your creek group is obligated to keep abreast of not just your immediate catchment but your regional catchment issues because you are within a region. Mm. You know, and I mean, it's, um, it's critically important that people wake up and realise that the Victorian rivers have been raided for... I mean, the Gippsland rivers have been raided for water um, for the benefit of Melbourne. You've got the Thompson um, Dam taking a lot of water there for potable water for Melbourne. Um, you've got the Snowy <laughs> going into the hydroelectric scheme. And the only decent flowing river we've got in Victoria is the Glenelg. And, you know, we've got Geelong and Ballarat populations growing quickly and what they need is a desal plant and <clears throat> at the moment Delp is saying oh why can't we take water out of the Glenelg for the Ballarat and Geelong region and you've got to ask are they serious the only decent really healthy river we've got we should just make that trash that like we've trashed the other ones mm. anyhow that's another issue getting back to Tullamarine groundwater is important Mm -hmm. Anyhow, on the banks of the Mooney Ponds Creek, there's that big hole there with full of um, a witch's brew of toxins, which off-gasses. Um, it creates its own methane. Um, they flare it off and other things come out with the methane. We can't get adequate um, air quality monitoring and data. And now, because Cleanway, who told the community back in the 1990s, when they were very apologetic over the stench and everything, that they would leave them the buffer land as a park, sold it uh, to MAB, and MAB say it's a perfect site for 41 
um, factories, warehouses. So he sold it to who? Who's that initial? Mab is a huge developer. It's the Buxton family, I think. Right, MAB, okay. Mike, yeah, so it's a big and developer. Michael right, and okay. Andrew yeah. Buxton. But anyhow, it's a huge development firm. They were involved in Docklands. They're in oh, Merrifield out in Hume. <clears throat> and they think it's a beautiful idea to put adjacent to the boundary fence of the toxic dump site, 41 factories and 227 houses. So they want to bring houses, have houses facing the Mooney Ponds Creek and come right up to the boundary line of the toxic dump. And that will mean people will be within, workers and residents would be within 15 to 20, that the actual first hole of the dump is 120 metres from that boundary line. So you'll have people living and working within 120 metres of a leaking toxic dump that off-gasses and has a flare. And EPA says it's fine. The soil on that site is supposedly not contaminated and the auditors said, well, as long as you don't go any deeper than two and a half metres, you should be fine. You shouldn't be getting any build-up of um, landfill gases in your buildings that way. So you should be fine. And they're being extra cautious. None of the people proposing this development are offering to come and live here <laughs> or work here. They simply just want to make their money and clear out and leave everybody else to enjoy the problems of living next door to a toxic dump. And what are the inherent landfills of to uh, problems with toxic dumps? Well, the reason they collect their gases and burn them off is to prevent them from exploding. So there's a very low probability that that could happen, but according to the risk management that was done 14 years ago, that's a low prob probability with a catastrophic consequence. Mm. And then there's the probability of fires, um, which the community had ad nauseum when it was an operating dump. Mm. And th that's another low, very low probability, but possible catastrophic consequences. So let's live right next door to it. And out of this uh, 39 hectares that's going to be developed, there's going to be a magnificent four hectares given along the Mooney Ponds Creek for bioretention systems and a sediment pond to treat the stormwater coming off the site. And there'll be a whole 0 0.75 hectares local park because there's plenty of open space in the area. And the traffic problems will be enormous. Um, you could write thousands of words about the magnificent solution of three extra right-turn lanes in different locations to help service that proposal. And we've done a rough estimate. The factories alone could be generating something like uh, 300 to 500 extra truck and car movements during a day and the housing will do the same and this is an area where if you want to turn out of Western Avenue into Mickleham Road, you have to queue at the lights. The lights let three cars go for every change of lights. The other night there were 30 cars lined up there. They had to wait for 10 sets of lights to get out and that's without anything extra in there. And what are we going to lose? Oh, 
uh, 9.5 hectares of native vegetation, which isn't a good enough quality to warrant it being retained, and so there'll be an offset somewhere else, not necessarily in Hume. We won't see the kangaroos grazing on the land anymore, uh, but never mind, we'll get birds. Mm, it's, oh, it's just really and, disappointing. And I'm furious because grasslands are critically important. There's been no genetic um, analysis of the grasses there. Now, the reason that's important, there's a wonderful group called Friends of Iremu Grasslands. It's adjacent to the Snorbins campus of VUT. There's a grassland there, and the community have been working on that for decades. They linked up with the uni. They were doing genetic testing of their species, and they found the most ancient form of wallaby grass from which all the other wallaby grasses had evolved. Now, that... And the point is, when you're down to what is it, 0.4% to the west of Melbourne is left and it's 5% across the state of volcanic plains grasses. You don't know what you're throwing away when you just say, oh, well, it's not a very good yeah. state, so it doesn't matter because there's been no genetic testing on mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and so, it, this excuse um, that's, that's often used of, like, uh, the the like area that we're planning to do this project in is already like poor quality so you know we can like it's okay that we can make it worse is such a an awful argument because then you know you, like you make more areas um like a less you know biodiverse or less like whatever like you're quality right. you might mean and then you're like giving yourself permission to make them worse mm. in the future it's uh it's yeah. so backwards um and yeah it's really disappointing that the epa signs off on these sorts of projects and the the coalition well, it's not just the epa that's signing off on the project yeah i mean there are regulatory responsibilities of both the council and the state government to protect biodiversity and they actually keep silent and we all know what terrible consequences come from silence, um, they keep silent. They let land be degraded and then say it's not worth saving. That is a proactive strategy. Mm. It's a yep. silent one, but that means they're failing their regulatory obligations to protect biodiversity. And if you don't protect biodiversity, you're not protecting human health either. Mm -hmm. I mean, for heaven's sakes, guys, wake up. So, Helen, where's it at then? I mean, in terms of getting this, eventually getting something done about this, where is it actually at? Well, there's a proposed rezoning of the buffer land because it's it's zoned as rural. It's being currently advertised and we're all busily writing um, submissions, which have to be into Hume Council by the 15th of June. Um, council then has to consider the proposal. Um, they... Uh, They've clearly, MAB has clearly been talking to council um, quite regularly for years over this. They actually did the first industrial development in Western Avenue and they've been keen to get this land for years, I think. <clears throat> um, so it'll go to council and um, if there's enough hue and a cry about it, council can abandon it. Um, and if they decide that... Um, Ultimately, it's a council decision because council can abandon it and then there's no appeal process or they can say, oh, well, we want this referred to a, a planning panel for discussion. And, of course, when these rezoning applications come up, there is automatically a time given for a panel hearing for it and then if the panel 
not called upon, well, it just gets cancelled, but they have to set the dates for that at the same time. So if council decides, well, there's too much community opposition, we'll send it to a panel, the panel will make recommendations that will then go back to the council. So they're still the planning authority. They're going to have to make the decision. I mean, the, the planning minister could just call the whole thing to a halt and say, no, <coughs> this is a bad precedence to set. Um, a 15-metre buffer between houses and factories and warehouses is not good planning in the modern age. I mean, there's plenty of good reasons why a good planning minister would say this is just absurd. Because the land is privately owned, it can't automatically be classified for um, open space unless there is a government agency that wants to buy it, which is what we put to the government last year before all of this started. And they said, well, there's no-one wanting to buy it at the moment. Now, um, I really think the state of Victoria owes the people of West Meadows and the city of Hume an obligation to um, lighten the pollution load on them. They not only have the toxic dump, they've got two dumps at Buller, uh, one of which regularly catches fire. The other one is now destined to take the tunnel PFAS soil. So they've also had four industrial fires because of um, slack management and um, you all know the history of those toxic fires. So this is a community in Hume that has had massive air pollution recently and continuously from the dump, has a cancer cluster within five or six cancer clusters now within 1.5 kilometres of that dump. We now have 231 known cancers in that area. The creek we know was, was the dump used to leak directly into the Mooney Ponds Creek. Now, the Mooney Ponds Creek is making a bit of a comeback. This particular site is opposite the Woodlands Historic Park, which I might add has got a lot of um, noxious weeds in it. Anyhow, we won't go down that path. Mm. It's adjacent to a creek. It is hugely important to take whatever small parcels of land you can get, like this 39 hectares, and improve the biodiversity there because the west of Melbourne is facing a greater crisis in climate than the other suburbs of Melbourne because we are, we are windier, sunnier, drier to start with. And all the river health strategies of Melbourne Water tell you that there is nothing but a downward trajectory for the whole northwest and west of Melbourne unless we dramatically change the way we operate. Now, we have to improve... Um, soil infiltration and we have to um, because we are groundwater dependent so once you start covering everything over with hard surfaces like roads, streets, buildings you're rushing the water to the, to the creek and creating a flood in it at the wrong time Now, <clears throat> the, and you've got all those sewage treatments that are getting bigger in the, um, the peri-urban area of Melbourne and so you've got Western Water and Southern Rural Water saying, oh, we've got plenty of wastewater we can give you. Don't worry about a shortage of water. And we're saying, what's the ecological value of that water? Well, the answer is zero. Because in any waste treatment system, I mean, humans consume um, 
medical drugs. The treatment systems do not take that out of the water. So they're offering you contaminated water and saying, oh, your creeks are like this. this we'll keep them flowing with that, right? Mm. And they're ignoring the fact that we have to get infiltration into the groundwater to keep the groundwater system functioning. Because if the groundwater dries out, then those soils will change. And um, oh, I've forgotten the technical term. But anyhow... <laughs> That just leads to more problems, which has been experienced in one of the developments up on the Mary Creek already where, um, anyhow, that's another huge issue. But nevertheless, we're in a critical need to look after the waterways. We have to clean the stormwater. We have to get groundwater infiltration. And our groundwater systems need to have a good flush in autumn and spring, right? And during the summer, they can reduce to seasonal deep refuge pools. That's fine. That's what they used to do. But you can't just pour water down them continuously because that changes the whole um, flora and fauna of the creek. Anyhow, there's a lot of issues in there. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. We wanted to ask you as well about the um, the soil that's being taken out of the northwest link. The south, the west. Yeah, well, so what is the, it? The Westgate Tunnel. Westgate Westgate tunnel. tunnel. The, I think there's also <laughs> going to be toxic soil from the northeast link. <laughs> oh, but, um, okay. <laughs> that's in the future. <laughs> One of the links, anyway, Helen. <laughs> Do you have uh, an look, update about tunnel, that? Yeah. Look, Raven Hall is another western community. The community over there complain about stench from that dump. Anyhow, the traffic impacts. The difficulties of getting in and out of your suburbs, you know, when you've got school drop-offs, the rubbish that blows around. Who else gets the PFAS soil? Look, on the backs of the west and the northwest of Melbourne, there's been a toxic dump. There's so many landfills out here. Now we take this. And, I mean, one man who lives in Arnside Crescent in West Meadows said to me, look, for the good of Melbourne an airport was built. I was told there'd be no noise and there wasn't on us. But now we're getting an extra third and fourth runway. We will get the noise. For the good of Melbourne, the Tullamarine Freeway was built. And now I get the fumes and the noise. For the good of Melbourne, a toxic dump was created. This is one man's experience. And these all happened to him after he moved into the area. He said, when do we get, when does the Melbourne do anything for the good of us? Get off our backs. And it's the same thing. What West Meadows experiences in Gladstone Park and Tullamarine is experienced at Ravenhall. It's experienced by the Sunbury people. They've got the most wonderful emu creek there just below. Um, It's a dramatic creek. It's beautiful. Um, Needs a lot of land care around there, but nevertheless, it's still a beautiful creek. So, and now we have... Eastern Melbourne's rubbish dump, because they've run out of quarry holes, they have to send their rubbish over to us. So you've got the other big um, dump that's just over the boundary of Hume in Whittlesea. It's... um, I've forgotten its name. So here we are. I mean, we're carrying this load There's a dump at Buller as well. And now, now they won't even turn around... The state government won't even turn around and say, you've carried such a burden... We are going to acquire that land and give it to the city of Hume and add to your open space because you are still putting up with noxious, um, you know, you've got air quality issues, you've got PM 2.5, no safe level for that. 
You've got that off the freeway, that off the dump. Your creek got abused and in compensation for the stress that you've all endured and the health impacts, we are going to give you a small piece of land. Why can't a state government do that? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's an injustice. And I, I think, you know, we feel like camels with about six humps and it's time Melbourne got off the backs of the west and the northwest of Melbourne and started compensating the people. One way, Helen, of course, of avoiding dumping all that toxic soil from the Westgate Tunnel would be not to build the Westgate Tunnel in the first place. Um, well, it's already and, done. And, and well, it's, it's on the way, but that's that's one way out of it, I would have thought, because, uh, you know, it's, it's only been built in the interests of transurban anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I mean, look, it, that's another thing. Oh. Once you look at, at land use, transport, I mean, 30 years ago, we many of us were through the mobilisation for social and environmental responsibility during the Greenhouse Action campaign. We were calling for uh, better public transport, rail rather than road, um, public housing... The, the, all the needs that we have today were known 30-odd years ago mm. and we and we were calling for a transition from coal. Well, in those days we even owned them. <laughs> yeah. That got ignored then and they've just made the problems worse. But the problem always is, oh, well, we've got to do this for somebody to benefit and profit from and, yeah, well, the North West can cop it. It's just like, well, they're the whipping dogs. And so that was one of the reasons we stood up over the water, over the rivers of the West campaign and said, hey, these are our creeks. We want them to function like waterways. We want them to be healthy and living. They're not just drains. And um, we're still waiting for the government to come out and release the report that was finished January last year. And we're still waiting to get our hands on the final report from the Ministerial Advisory Committee for the Waterways of the West and its action plan. Mm. Now, COVID did interrupt it. We were prepared to wait, but this is getting ridiculous. We're just, oh, well, we've got to wait, 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 wait. And if you look at the state budget, you don't see a lot of money for the environment in there. Mm. You don't see a massive um, employment scheme to get more enforcement officers for the EPA. You look at the way Parks Victoria manages itself, Hardly any money. Um, you know, anything that they spend goes into tourist areas, so the west of Melbourne misses out again. Um, we know that we've got um, this, the state-owned logging companies out there uh, wanting to chop down the last remaining habitat of Leadbeater's possum and the glider. So where's this government's um, credentials on, on the environment? I'm beginning to think they're fading out fast and they've got regulatory op, um, obligations, so they need to do them. And then you look at Melbourne Water and how can they possibly do all the work that is now caused because of bad planning? They haven't got the capacity, the financial capacity to solve all the problems. Either. So the state government has got to get serious about funding, protecting, uh, funding the protection of the environment. Mm. Helen, we just and the opposition to... doesn't have a credibil- any credibility on it, but neither does the state government at the moment. 
Yeah, um, we've got a couple of minutes left, Alan, and I feel like Kevin's probably got about 17 more questions. But, <laughs> I've, got, I've yeah. got heaps, but I, yeah. Helen, I was going to mention one, just one point. Um, uh, a magazine called Agribusiness this week had an article about water, but talking particularly, of course, about the Murray-Darling Basin. But it, it talks about the fact that the, um, the water market there is worth $25 billion, and the whole article is about what water is actually worth in, to, to capitalism, not not... Not the environment. I mean, it's, it's, it's typical, isn't it? Kevin, southern rural water and western water also believe water is a commodity. Mm. There is a huge fight going on at the moment. There's 90 gigalitres of water that used to go to the mines down in Gippsland, uh, to the power station in Gippsland, and now southern rural water wants to sell that off to irrigators when there are rivers down in Gippsland that need it. Mm. This whole commodity... To turn water into commodity is just the most absurd, <clears throat> you know, it makes me think of the Goths coming into Rome. Water is life itself. And if we don't turn around and start listening to traditional owners and respecting their knowledge and trying to get our heads around it and understand how water works and how crucial it is, this is going to be an impossible place to live in in the future. Yeah. We're not going to have much water in the future. It's so self-destructive. It's madness, isn't it? It's gross irresponsibility. It's yeah. not mad, it's deliberate. Yeah. Oh. Just one other thing, because Clean Away, we'll be pleased to know Clean Away hasn't changed its habits. It has recently, a, a still pending um, regulatory approval, but it has actually acquired sewers, another dumping company. But it um, it was downgraded by Credit Suisse this week because of a, a new chum landfill that's also acquired. But I like this bit, Helen. It shows exactly what they're doing at Tullamarine. Cleanaway recently guided to... 10 million to 15 million lower contribution from its new chum landfill in, in financial year 22 due to planned lower volumes to avoid triggering end of life rehabilitation costs before it secures a, a height extension. So it wants to delay things so it actually gets the height extension and it hasn't got to spend money on rehabilitation. And that just means it's rehabilitation at the end of it will be more expensive because clean away don't like the management of Clean Away <clears throat> don't in, don't support the people out at the site who are trying to do what the environmental audit uh, uh, legally obliges them to do. Now, Clean Away have failed the 2019 and the 2020 audits. They got a whole eight and a half thousand dollar fine for uh, non-compliance. There, they didn't even like that. Uh, and the management just takes doesn't seem to take any interest in this site. I mean, and the number of restructurings and changing going on in there. But, you know, Brambles Clean Away made the money and then they smartly sold off to, it was then Trans-Pacific, Trans-Pacific Clean Away, and they're getting all the costs. Now, there was no way, we tried to find an avenue for making Brambles stay and pay for the cost of the of the. Um, post-closure management, because it's not really a cleanup, um, And there was no way we could get anybody to say it could be done. They would just sell it was a private piece of land and they could sell it off. It was a business and that was all fine. And we were saying, no, they've got the money. 
they've had the profits, they should have to spend the money on the clean-up. So Trans-Pacific obviously bought a dud here. <coughs> and uh, now they've got costs. And I think the management of clean away is negligible, is um, extremely uh, indifferent to what happens at Tullamarine. <laughs> I think uh, after many, many, many years of talking about it, I think that's a fair comment. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, I'd like to see them showing some responsibility and um, doing what they ought to do. And they ought to be able to conform to the regulations that the EPA put on them. They're not that arduous. Yeah. yeah. All right, Helen, we're I mean, out if, of time. If anybody was really serious, they'd be sucking that groundwater up, cleaning it, and then pumping it back in mm. when yeah. it was clean. But no, we're not going to get that, are we? No. And I mean, no. I, I, I cannot believe the stinginess that is involved in here in saying there is no government agency that wishes to purchase that land, therefore it cannot be zoned open space because no one is committed to buying it. Well, the state government certainly doesn't have a problem borrowing money at the moment at the low rates it's got. We've just seen plenty of evidence of that for the last 18 months, so why can't they buy it? And as we said earlier, they've provided millions for a defence um, mm. facility at Fisherman's Bend, so they can do that when it comes to killing people, apparently. Mm. Well, Kevin, we've been in the anti, anti-war, pro-peace movement for, for our, what, 50 years? Long time. We all know that when a country decides the only thing it can mm. build is weapons, it's getting into a very dangerous situation, and that's what Australia is doing. We saw that when Christopher Pine was in charge of defence. Let's build more, let's have a bigger defence industry. That is both immoral, if you want to produce your own weapons for your self-defence is a different issue, but, you know, dialogue with other people is far better. I mean, it is the same issues that we have faced for so long, right? And, And we can't give up on them. We have to keep saying peace is possible, Dialogue with amongst diverse people is possible and productive. We can live together on this planet. We can share its resources. It's the only thing that is worth doing. Yeah. Um, that might be a good place to end because we have to leave a little early. We're ending on a positive note, which is actually a bit unusual. But, um, <laughs> Helen, look, thanks for that. We, we'll probably get you on again next week anyway. I want just to tell us how good we are and raise money for Radiothon. So you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> Thank okay. you, Helen. Thanks for all your Radio work. Radio Helen, but look, thanks for your time. I know you've got a meeting at 10 o'clock as well, so thanks for your time this morning and um, we'll certainly follow it up. Okay, thanks. Yeah, well, sustainable water is not going to be... They've just got that thing so carefully. They've hidden it so well from the public. All we need to do is make sure the public knows that this is being planned and that they need to speak up and say, no, 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 water's not a commodity. We have to keep the water in the rivers. Leave the Glenelg alone. Get another desal plant. And let's look at how we can give hope to the future by using our wonderful brains to get better management. It's possible. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Helen. We'll have to wrap up Thanks, there. Helen. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for your time. Oh, yeah. Helen Vandenberg there, who um, is always um, plenty to talk about, and uh, and uh, she always makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yes. Yep. Um, so you've been listening to City Limits on 3CR. Anarchist World This Week is up next. Yep. And Radiothon's up next week. <laughs> about a
another desperate attempt to put the burner now. They're spreading hate like fire with a tongue incinerator. Humbug and firebug, and is the only time I see ya. Stepping on heads of hot coals, you gotta get burned. He's a third degree. And flip the script for the users and the wannabes, toys and building blocks of a nation's apology. So burn your bridges and do your thing. On the island number one, you're the only thing. Self appointed king, and you just love the flame. That's why you burn anything that'll land your fame. Thank <laughs> you.